0: SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb.
1: Almost seven minutes after six o'clock, Hilton Tarrant with you on the market update alongside Google it and Foopy on this Friday evening. First up, as always, Google has your business news.
2: Thanks, Hilton. Good evening. Well S.S. Express has finally tabled its annual report in Parliament for the 2010-2011 financial years, which shows that it suffered a loss of more than one hundred and eighty million rand compared to the eighty one million rand profit in the previous year. The release of the shock figures was delayed following the outcome of a forensic audit report which was commissioned after accounting errors were found in the financial statements. The retail price of all grades of petrol will fall by 73 cents a litre from next week Wednesday on the 1st of May. The Department of Energy's Central Energy Fund also announced that the price of diesel will also decrease by as much as 56 cents a litre. And the U.S. economic growth regained speed in the first quarter of this year, but not as much as expected, which could heighten fears that the already weakening economy could struggle to handle deep government spending cuts and higher taxes. Turning to the markets now, the JCO share index is closed in negative territory by just more than a tenth of 1% at 39,082 points. The rands at 9.12 against the US dollar, 14, eight to the pound and 11.87 against the euro. Gold trading at $1,464 an ounce, a barrel of crude oil at $103 and the platinum price at $1,476 an ounce.
1: Wayne McCurry is with Momentum Wealth. Wayne, market coming off ever so slightly little today. Bridges. So resources down 1%, gold shares down by 2%. It's one day up, one day
0: down for gold these days. Yeah, but look, the gold shares were so bombed out that they have, they have had a bit of a rally. And, of course, the gold price itself is, what, up $60, $70 over the week. So you will see a little bit of a rally in them. But, I mean, don't for a moment think if this is the start of something new with gold shares. So... They were just too oversold and it bounced. Now, the resource shares coming under pressure, I mean, it doesn't actually matter what you think or how cheap the shares are. The market is just totally and utterly against these shares and it's just pushing them down. I mean, it's not a disaster today. that billets and anglers are down about 1%, etc., etc. But, quite frankly, a relatively quiet day in the market. The market did was up most of the day until the U.S. GDP numbers came out and, it, as you said, it ended up down about 50 points.
2: When taking a look at some of the 52-week lows, uh, Oslo Mittal there, not surprising. That's a company not that's surprising. been struggling for quite some time. Afgri As well as Village and Outtech as well.
0: Well, look, we know we know about we know about We We there's a long and very very complex, difficult story. But essentially, I don't, despite all the Kumba and, and and all of these things, despite all of this. I still don't think it's profitable to own a steel manufacturing mill in South Africa. Maybe not even in the world, by the way. Okay, AFGRI, they are under they are under the kosh with uh, cheap imports, say, and all of them all of the agricultural firms are are just suffering badly from these cheap imports. I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is, but it's cheaper to import frozen chicken from Brazil than it is to buy from the local guys, and quite significantly cheaper. So, they, so I, I, can, I can fully understand those two. And of course, uh, Altec, Altron, we all know the difficulties they've had, not just the recent difficulties, the difficulties they've had over many, many years. That's also not surprising.
2: Touching on those chicken imports that you touched on just a moment ago regarding Afri, it seems as though the International Trade Commissions, while well, they've uh, decided to put an 80% increase on all chicken imports, which will obviously di- have a direct mm-hmm. impact direct on Direct
0: impact. That will certainly I know they were lobbying extensively for it. Look, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. If people are dumping chicken yeah, at cheaper than what they would sell the same chicken in their local market, then it's fair to put tariffs on. But understand, putting tariffs on anything is increases the price that everyone pays for it at the shops. Mm. It might... Help the companies and preserve some jobs, but then everyone pays more. So it's a very, very difficult and complex thing. This tariff story.
1: Well, on the on the 52-week highs, mm. uh, a number of property funds booking uh, 52-week highs. And we've seen an amazing run in that sector just earlier this week. Uh, on Tuesday evening, we heard from Anton de Gouda of Coronation, uh, the sector up around about 12% in the year to date. Coronation, ironically, also on that 52-week high mm. list, uh, or coincidentally rather, 53. 53- fifty a share, uh Wayne. Well, two percent today. Trading update. Trading update,
0: yeah. Very good numbers. It's extremely good numbers, way more so than the market was expecting. Look, you've got to just the the, the headline increase isn't the true increase, mm. but the true increase is still phenomenal. Mm. The two increase is sixty or seventy percent, whatever the number is. Now Coronation's been a phenomenal success as an asset manager. It is a volatile business. A lot of their profits are um, essentially share of outperformance against the benchmark, which can change next week. But a, a significant proportion of their income is an, is an annuity-based, i.e. it's fairly regular.
2: When looking at Convergenet, uh, they're expecting their headline or other results out today. Headline earnings per share taking a 28% knock, but revenue up slightly, just by 16% there.
0: Yeah, look, I I looked at those results, and when I saw... I think it was four different earnings per share in the first couple of paragraphs, and mm. the one was the loss was down, but then the loss is less, and then they go and all I saw was the word losses and 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 down and negatives i I quite frankly didn't read much further than that. We
1: heard in the six o 'clock news that the Department of Trade and Industry has uh, suggested and put forward these these ten special economic zones. We heard about that uh, in the finance minister's budget speech in in February. He indicated that there would be 10 economic zones uh, around the country. Three of those exist, and uh, the DTI and uh, Minister Rob Davies points uh, to them in the announcement today. Uh, The two which most listeners will be familiar with, Richards Bay uh, up in KwaZulu-Natal and East London, uh, also Kocher uh, currently exists. So three of those special economic zones exist. You've got to scratch your head when it comes to a special economic zone like East London where Mercedes-Benz assembles cars there, there. it's always been there, the one in Richards Bay has Mondi and Hillside Aluminium as anchor tenants.
0: Yeah, and Hillside's only there because 25 years ago electricity was plentiful and cheap, otherwise they wouldn't be there. Um, Look, I sincerely hope and pray that it works, because we need job creation, we need employment, we need exports, we need manufacturing activities. I'm just not too sure if the track record on these special economic zones is all that good. And if you did a true cost-benefit analysis of all the money put into it and the tax breaks given as to whether it's added or not, I'm just not sure of the outcome of that.
1: Let's bring in MoneyWeb's Malcolm Rees. Now, Malcolm, you've been tracking the FastJet story following our coverage on the market update on Wednesday evening. Today, rival Comair, the operator of British Airways in the country and low-cost airline Kalula, has raised questions about how FastJet is entering the country. What are Comair's reservations?
3: Um, As I understand it, Comair seems to be concerned with um, really the legality um, uh, regarding the deal. Um, This is in light of the um, relevant aviation legislation which holds that um, a foreign uh, aviation entity can only take a 25% maximum stake in a local entity and that that stake must, uh, or rather that the majority holding um, entity must have control over the business. Um, So... I think really what the problem is is that the, the statement that's released by FastJet um, relating to the, the memorandum of understanding between it and Blockbuster um, is very unclear as to who will actually be running the um, venture, um, what roles the various uh, stakeholders will have, and, and that has led to a lack of clarity um, in terms of the sort of compliance with the relevant leg- regulations.
1: You mentioned Blockbuster there. This is this rather opaque holding company. Edward Zuma, son of the president involved, Yusuf Kaji and other prominent businessmen involved. What have you been able to find out about Blockbuster?
3: Well, I think that's really the thing, is is not much can be found out about Blockbuster. Um, They have almost no public presence, no um, sort of traceable history. Um, There's no contact information available for them, so it, there's not much that can be said about Blockbuster, which is um, the concern. Um, we do know that another problem, Paul de Robillard, um, is at the center of that entity, or at, at least we believe him to be. And um, Paul, in turn, has links with, um, with FastJet through its majority shareholder, um, Lonro, which is an international or UK-based um, industrial company.
2: Malcolm, you've seen an uh, outcry from Com who published a statement uh, about this deal, but has Mango come forth and said anything, or maybe even SAA?
3: I haven't heard anything from either of those two. I haven't tried to contact them, um, so I have no idea where they sit. As far as uh,
1: the actual operation of this airline is concerned, you did you did manage to pin down Evan Bailey, who's chief executive of Federal Airlines, mm. uh, the company which FastJet tells us will be operating uh, the airline and, and is the license holder. Has he been able to shed any light on on how this airline will be operated day to day?
3: Yeah, he, he was um, fairly informative. Um, basically, as I understand from Evan Bailey, is that um, his company, Federal Air, will basically be running the business. And then I suppose that links back to the concerns um, in light of uh, the law, which might be read to to state that um, Blockbuster should run it. Um, so it looks like Federal Air has been brought in because it has a, a license, an aviation license, and it looks like Federal Air uh, will be doing the sort of day-to-day um, operational uh, or handling the day-to-day operational aspects of the business, you know, customer check-ins, handling the finances, um, and that sort of thing. Then he indicated that um, the money, the financing for the venture will be coming from FastJet, um, which would suggest that um, the, the local uh, blockbuster entity is sort of getting in there for free.
1: Malcolm Reese is a journalist at MoneyWeb. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. All Anglo-American Platinum today announcing the appointment of Valimusa as independent non-executive chairman with immediate effects. Now, the group and parent Anglo-American have been under fire since the appointment in 2010 of Cynthia Carroll, then Anglo Boss as chair of the Platinum business. She stepped down as uh, chairman of Anglo Platinum at the AGM today. Theo Berta, a shareholder activist, joins us now. Theo, to recap, if we go back to 2010 with the appointment of Cynthia Carroll, what were your reservations with that appointment at the time?
4: I think my first reservation was the fact that no real reasons were furnished um, to the shareholders as regards what is the reason for having uh, the CEO of a holding company. Uh, being a, a chairperson of a subsidiary, and in terms of uh, King Three, um, I felt they should have furnished reasons because it didn't adhere to one of the principles of King Three. So they never really um, explained the reasons. So in terms of King three, you've got to comply or explain. Now the flaw in King Three is that when you when they did the appointment, they didn't have to do the comply or explain at that time, they just waited till the year end. And, and explanations weren't really correctly furnished as regards what was the reason for her coming onto the board as a chairperson.
1: Does that appointment as chairperson, did that appointment as chairperson ever comply uh, with with the principles within King Three?
4: Well, I, in my opinion, I don't think it complied because I don't think they furnished adequate reasons as to as to why she had to come on as a chairperson. She could have come on as a as a, as a non-executive director. I mean, she's the CEO of the holding company, which controls 80% of anglo mm. So how much power did she need? Uh, and on top of that, Anglo-America, she wasn't the only director of, uh, from Anglo-America appointed to Anglo-Platz board. I think there were two other directors that were appointed from Anglo-America's board onto Anglo-Platz's board. So, so I felt that the holding company had a good representation um, on the board if they wanted to drive a process.
1: Has there ever been an explanation from, from either Anglo or Anglo uh, Platinum about this appointment?
4: I think the sort of explanation which I gathered over the years was that, um, you know, since Carroll wanted to drive the safety issue. Um, when, um, when Ralph left, which was the previous CEO to Neville Nicola, um, there were issues in terms of, you know, high fatalities. Hmm. Um, and I think she felt she wanted to maybe drive the process. That, that's what I, my understanding of the process is. But it, it, there might be other issues, you know. Um, but, but but you yourself, being a journalist, also I, I'm sure you also feel, wow, there was never really an explanation as regards to this event.
1: Yeah, it has been a, a, a pretty murky one. Uh, Theo, are, are you satisfied with today's appointment of, of Vali Musa as as chairman?
4: Well. Um, at least we, we got a we got a independent non executive director, um, and um, the new CEO from Anglo America will be on the board as a non executive director. Um, and I mean, if he wants to drive the process, he can drive it through his exco. You know, um, the CEO of Anglo platz sits on the exco of Anglo America, and you know that's the way to drive the process. And also, I think it strengthens the arm of your your independent non-executive directors on the board because you know, maybe they'll be able to you know, be a little bit more outspoken, you know.
1: Tough couple of months ahead, though, for, for not only the chief executive Chris Griffith, but also uh, Vali Musa and his new role as chairman. Uh, both of them, and uh, I guess the rest of the board, have to navigate this p- politically thorny issue around the business review, around the restructuring. Uh, does, does Vali Musa's appointment add to that process at all? Well,
4: I, I, you know, I can't speak for 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 Mr. Musa in terms of whether it adds to the process. I, all I can say is yes there are some serious issues which need to be addressed in terms of retrenchments which is going forward and they need to handle that with the, the sensitivity mm. that would be regarded in this thing because, you know, we, we were dealing with, you know, people's lives and, 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 and whether they can sustain themselves into the future. And, I mean, to, I mean they came out with a sense announcement. I think they were going to retrench 14,000 workers mm. and, you know, that's a lot of money It's going, it's going to be disappearing from, from that area where all their minds are, you know, so... Let's hope that, and let's be positive. Um, They did say they want to work with the government in terms of this issue and work with the various stakeholders, so maybe a better sense will prevail and maybe less people will lose their jobs.
1: And Indeed, those uh, bilateral discussions between Anglo-American Platinum and the Department of Mineral Resources ongoing. Uh, The deadline has been extended uh, to the end of this month, and we may yet see another extension. We may uh, see news uh, coming out of, of either the department or Anglo American Platinum next week. Our thanks to Theo Buta, shareholder activist.
0: SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb.
1: Well, private equity funds uh, internationally and increasingly here in South Africa are showing uh, interest in a new area of investment in South Africa, not necessarily a traditional uh, space in which they used to operate. Uh, They are increasingly focusing on distressed companies. Eric Levenstein is business rescue director at WorkSman's. Eric, before we get into the private equity side of things, let's dive right into business rescue. What is business rescue? Is it similar to the the Chapter 11 legislation in, in the United States?
5: Yes, it is in fact very similar and in fact marries what we see in the UK and in Australia. And really what it is, it's a filing of a restructuring process in companies where there is significant financial distress. Um, A practitioner would be appointed to supervise the company while it's in business rescue with the aim of restructuring debt, looking at its business, seeing whether or not certain loss-making divisions should be sold off, and ultimately ending up with a plan that gets voted in by creditors and hopefully the company then continues to trade on a solvent basis once the practitioner exits from the process.
1: Eric, how many companies in the the country have entered business rescue and and typically how many make it out the other side?
5: Well, we've had um, statistics given to us by the company's office, the CRPC, and they've said since May of 2011 when the Act became law, you've looked at basically over 800 companies that have gone into business rescue uh, many of those, unfortunately, ended up in liquidation. In the sense that they were never candidates for business rescue, it was never really an opportunity to to exit from that process. But there there have been statistics saying somewhere between 12 or 15%, maybe up to 20% of those companies have been successfully rescued. The problem with the statistics: a lot of those companies are still within the process. Some started by way of resolution, and some started by way of court process. But in the bigger ones, we've seen some success, and that's really why we've been talking about opportunities in distressed funds taking positions in business
4: rescue.
1: In terms of those distressed private equity funds, this is obviously a global trend uh, and one that uh, increasingly has its eyes on, on this country and, and the rest of the continent.
5: Now, I think um, if you look at the, uh, sig- the significant size of distressed funds that are in place in the, in the U.S. and the U.K., you're talking about billions of of uh, euros and dollars being spent on distressed debt. And I think um, particularly very recently we had some interest out of of the UK. There was an article published on the story in the Financial Times just really talking about distressed funds now looking beyond the borders of Europe and the UK and starting to look down at South Africa and Africa in respect of opportunities where companies have run out of cash. They can't restructure themselves. They need to go into some formal process And there's the opportunity, uh, acquiring some kind of valuable asset, which would probably be at a very cheap value if you're compromising with creditors.
1: I'm guessing the rules around business rescue and and, and the process in which a a company gets placed into business rescue, how it trades in that period, has made this a, a lot more attractive.
5: Yeah, the whole position of business rescue it gives you what they call a breathing space, a moratorium on claims, So creditors can't come after the company with judgments or try and wind up the company and put it into liquidation in that period. So the moratorium assists in allowing the practitioner to talk to creditors, talk to employees, directors, and other stakeholders to ensure that the company is given a chance and see whether or not there's a plan that's sustainable and can deliver that company uh, beyond business rescue into a solvent and and profitable levels, which obviously is, is the ultimate objective of business rescue.
1: Eric, just to close off with, uh, we have covered uh, some of the companies in Business Rescue on, on the market update. Uh, Top TV, uh, perhaps one of the most well-known ones of those, still trading under Business Rescue, melts the fashion chain into the Business Rescue a couple of months ago. Uh, is there interest locally among the uh, private equity and venture capital um, companies uh, around potentially looking at, at distressed companies?
5: I think... There is interest. I think at the moment um, it's starting to take quite a bit of traction. As I said, we we gave seminars, uh, Worksmans gave seminars in Cape Town and in Joburg last week. And it seems that there is some significant interest because I think people are starting to understand that there is opportunity. And you take um, Top TV, for example. It's been reported in the press that the Chinese are looking at acquiring that company, um, there have been others where there has been um, offers on the table. And I think really what venture capital funds are looking at is partnering with prospective offerors where they would identify an asset, come together, possibly put up the venture capital to enable um, an offer to be placed to the business rescue practitioner and obviously pick up good valued assets in South Africa.
1: Eric Levenstein is business rescue director at Worksman's. Well, a couple of minutes to go before the end of the program. We'll take a look at how the markets performed today. It was a day with the JSE ended down zero point one percent, thirty nine thousand and eighty two points on the All Share. We saw resource shares down by one percent. Gold shares leading the charge, lower. Down by 2%. Gold index currently 1,569 points. And amongst those gold shares, Goldfields down 3%, well over 3%. In fact, three and a quarter, Anglo Gold Ashanti was down by 2% on the day. The diversified Anglo and BHP Billiton both down over 1%, as uh, Momentum Wealth's Wayne McCurry said earlier. Also on the lower side, Vodacom and MTN under pressure. MTN down by around about 1.7%. Uh, on the back, uh, perhaps, of those uh, subscriber numbers released yesterday, Vodacom was down almost 2% on the day as uh, perhaps its exposure to South Africa is a little bit greater than uh, than MTN's. Absis Standard Bank uh, also lower on the day. We saw Bidvest down by 1.7%. On the plus side, though, SOB Miller uh, up almost 1.5% today. British American Tobacco also among the defensives. That was up 1%. Kumba Iron Ore and Exoro both up over 1% today. ShopRite was uh, up around about three quarters of 1%. Well,
2: if you happen to miss out on tonight's show, then you can log on to moneyweb.co.za as full transcripts and podcasts of tonight's show will be available there. You can also Read up on my uh, Malcolm's story regarding FastJet, as well as the murky waters surrounding that deal. That's one of the top stories on MoneyWeb at the moment. Alternatively, you can download the MoneyWeb Talk app, available for free on all major app stores, and uh, listen to the audio channels of tonight's show.
1: Alternatively, uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, at MoneyWeb, uh, with uh, full breaking news throughout the day, uh, 24 hours a day. At MoneyWeb Radio, with uh, updates specifically for this program. At HiltonTarrant,
2: or... At Googleetum Fupi. Well, maybe G-U-G-U-M-F-U-P-H-I would make it simpler. That's simple. Well, from myself, Wilson Terrence. And myself, Googleetum Fupi. Have yourselves
5: a great weekend.